have to put up with me today. Several years ago, I preached a sermon that was focused around the idea that many times there are things that are so small that they are overlooked or ignored, and if they're not addressed, they can turn into huge problems. And the title of the sermon was Crabgrass, Mole Crickets, and Little Foxes. And I am going to borrow from that sermon and title this sermon More Crabgrass, Mole Crickets, and little foxes. We're going to start by reading Proverbs chapter 24, verses 30 and 33 32. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. One of the, the wonderful memories that I have from when I was growing up is how my dad loved a beautiful yard. We always had a beautiful yard. My dad worked very hard in the yard, but so did my brother and I. And I learned a lot from that yard work. I learned that beautiful yards don't just happen. Some, something in that lesson must have stuck because I still love to have a nice-looking yard. Um, if lawn stuff is not your thing, that's okay because I promise I'm going somewhere else with this. So just stay with me for a minute. The, the quest to have a beautiful yard in Florida can be a battle because there's a number of things that work against you. One is water, and in Florida we can either have way too much or way too little, and they both can cause a lot of problems. Too much water can cause fungus to grow, it causes the grass to get root rot, and it dies. Too little water can, well, just make it die because grass needs water. So sometimes you can get too much, sometimes you can get too little. So water's a problem. Another obstacle in keeping a lawn looking great is insects. And here in Florida, there are a bunch of different kinds of bugs that can get into your yard and destroy the grass before you even know it's there. One of the insects that, um, that is well known for doing this is a mole cricket. Mole crickets live underground, and they eat the roots off of the grass. Then eventually, the grass turns brown, and the problem with that is, by the time you see that the grass turned brown, the damage is already done, the roots are gone, your grass is dead, and it's too late to do anything about it. Look at your neighbor and say, I think I know where he's going with this. Then there are weeds. And there are quite a variety of weeds that can get into your grass. One that I hate the most is crabgrass. I truly believe that crabgrass is of the devil. Here's one of the problems with crabgrass. It looks an awful lot like St. Augustine grass. And if you're not careful, you just walk by it. It's green and it fits right in. And it looks kind of like grass and you go, well, I don't see anything. Most of the time, that's what happens. You walk by and you walk by. And then by the time you notice it, the crabgrass has taken over a huge portion of your lawn and it's too late. Agronomists will tell you that the best weapon against crabgrass is a healthy lawn. Now you can look at your neighbor and say, oh, I definitely know where he's going with this. In the passage that we read in the book of Proverbs, we see that Solomon walked past a field of the sluggard and the vineyard of a man who lacks judgment. Basically, 
Solomon was talking about two people who weren't putting an awful lot of effort into their garden or vineyard. As Solomon passed by, he saw some things that made him think. And in verse 32, he says, I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. I want us to look at some things today that in and of themselves might not seem particularly spiritual, but things that if we see them with our heart, like Solomon did, we can learn a lesson from what we saw. Solomon saw thorns everywhere. He saw weeds covering the ground. He saw a stone wall that was in ruins. And I feel safe in saying this, that had he walked by the day before, it would have looked exactly the same way. In fact, it's probably safe to say that if he would have walked by the week before, it probably looked pretty much the same. Why do I say that? Because it's not likely that any of those things happened overnight. It's probably not even likely that any of them happened over the course of a couple weeks. No, most things like this are a process. They take time. Little by little, thorns grow in the grapevines, in the, the grape maybe unnoticed. And little by little, weeds come up in the ground until the ground is covered. And little by little, the wall breaks down, maybe just a piece at a time, until it is useless and broken down. And then one day you say, how did it get like that? I didn't even notice there was a problem. Before we dive into crabgrass, mole crickets, and little foxes, I want to talk a minute about that wall. In 2008, officials from the Russian Orthodox Church reported that a 200-year-old church building had disappeared from a village in central Russia. The building had stood near the village of Komarovo, and a spokesman for the, Russian, the local Russian Orthodox Church said the disappearance of the Church of the Resurrection around 186 miles northeast of Moscow was not immediately noticed. They said that in July it was intact. But by sometime in early October it was gone. And it seems that the thieves had made off with it brick by brick. It was in an out-of-the-way area. It was not being used. But the church officials said that they were considering starting services there again. But by the time they went to check on the property, all that remained of this two-story building were its foundation and some small sections of a wall. If we are not vigilant, then just like that wall that Solomon described in the walls of that church in Russia... We as a church can disappear as well. Maybe not the physical building, like the one in Russia, but disappear in a way that is far worse. We can disappear spiritually. We can turn church attendance into something we do when we don't have anything else to do. And I will tell you that attitude is contagious. Well, so-and-so doesn't always go to church, so why should I? And let me tell you, when and if that happens, little by little, the church goes away. I talked about this in Bible study a couple weeks ago, but let me say it again. The church is much more than a place just to attend. It is a family that loves us. It is a family that provokes us to good works. The church as a family will cry with us when we are hurting. 
provide an ear when we need to talk, celebrate with, our, with us with our victories, and love us through both the good times and the bad times. That's what church is. That's what the fellowship of church is. For whatever reason, it seems to be very popular these days for people to say, well, I don't have to go to church to, be, to go to heaven or be a Christian. Well, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And you know what? Technically, that's true. Let me tell you something else that technically is true. You don't have to wear a parachute to jump out of an airplane. <laughs> but both of those things will help you survive. Both of those will help make the journey and your eventual destination a lot more enjoyable. We'll read one scripture and we'll move on. Everybody's squirming a little bit. <laughs> Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And we have been talking for the last two weeks, last Sunday, Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday, about the days approaching. Greg, thank you for a wonderful job you did Wednesday night, and I'm looking forward to next Wednesday night. Amen. If you were here, you know it was fantastic. Even more so as you see the day approaching, encourage one another. It doesn't mean guilt trip people into coming to church. It means encourage one another. If, you, if somebody wasn't there, we sure missed you. Sylvia, you do that all the time. I see this lady right here. She encourages people that aren't at church. She notices who's here, and I'll see it on Facebook. I missed you at church today. That's encouraging one another. As you see the day approaching. Let's get back to crabgrass, mole crickets, and little foxes. Our lives as Christians are not really any different than this garden or vineyard that Solomon wrote about. The wise man Solomon also wrote in the Song of Solomon 2.15. He said, catch us the little foxes. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards. It's not always the big things that destroy our walk as Christians. Oh yeah, the, the big things can destroy our walk. But sometimes it's a culmination of a lot of little foxes, a lot of little sins that destroys our walk with God. And I believe this is one of the reasons why. 1 Peter 1.8 tells us the devil goes about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, to devour. And that's true. And since we know that, we have no problem spending the necessary time praying and preparing for when the big lion shows up. We're ready. We sat through eight weeks of a sermon series on the full armor of God. And we know all about the full armor of God. And we're all armed and ready to go. And we say, I've got my armor on. Ain't no lion going to get me. And as we stand there, we forget sometimes that the devil sneaks in like a little fox. And since we were looking for a big lion instead of a little fox... Many times those little things sneak right into our lives and often just as it is with crabgrass and mole crickets before we, when we finally realize that what's happened, it's too late and the damage is already done. The problem is that we were somewhat prepared but we weren't adequately repaired, prepared. Well, pastor, what kind of things are you talking about? Well, specifically... 
I'm talking about sins we overlook mainly because they don't fall into the category of sins we abhor or detest. These sins are probably not even on our list of sins, the list we use to judge the evil people of the world and our neighbors. And there might be an occasion when we point one of these things out in somebody else's life. But far too often we are not prepared or willing to stand against these things in our own lives. And this morning I want to look at some of the little foxes or sins that can destroy the life of a Christian. And I know I'll probably miss some sins in any given category, but I'm pretty sure nobody's going to ask to meet with, with me after church to tell them I missed theirs. <laughs> but I'll be in my office. The two categories I want to look at today are sins of the heart and sins of the tongue. First, I want to look at the sins of the heart. When we think about sins of the heart, we should think about those sins that we consider we consider a secret sin. Not the big outward things that are obvious to everyone around, murder, adultery, stealing, and all those things. In fact, those are usually the first things that people list. In fact, most unsaved people would tell you that those things are wrong. But today I want to look at some of the little things that go on inside us, in our heart, sins that sometimes go unnoticed by everyone else, and sometimes even ourselves. David, the writer of most of the Psalms in the book of, book of Psalms understood this. He wrote this in Psalm 51.10. He said, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. To put the life of David in a little better perspective, Acts 13.22 tells us that God himself considered David a man after his own heart. That's a pretty high recommendation. Even with this endorsement from God himself, David cried out in Psalm 51.10, Lord, create in me a clean heart. The King James Version says, create in me a clean heart. NIV says a pure heart. David prayed this, prayed this prayer because he knew it was possible that even a man who God considered to be a man after his own heart to still have some little things that needed to be gotten rid of in his life. So what are they? Again, we're not going to list them all, but basically they're sins we don't like to talk about because they're the ones sometimes that we like to hold on to. Things like anger, jealousy, pride, impure thoughts, bitterness, envy. And these are some of the little foxes that destroy the vine. There are some of the sins in the heart, of the heart that hinder the growth of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Psalm 98 says, You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. They might seem like secret sins to us. Might even seem like secret sins to those around us. But be assured, they are not a secret sin to God. And while anger and jealousy and pride and impure thoughts and bitterness and envy might not be things that, that people generally consider big sins, once again, keep in mind that often it is those little things that are easier to slip into our lives than the big ones. Oh, I don't know if I believe that or not. Okay, fair enough. Has anyone here seriously considered robbing a Circle K this week? No hands? Okay, how about this? Has anyone here had a problem with anger, impure thoughts, or bitterness while driving on Highway 60 this week? <laughs> Little foxes. 
This type of thing is why we need to constantly pray as David did. Lord, create in me a pure or a clean heart. And if we don't, then just like the mole crickets in the grass, many times these things, the anger, the bitterness, the impure thoughts, have sunk in and they, they snuck in. And, and by the time it's visible on the outside, the damage has already been done on the inside. And damage not to us, but often to those around us. I have found that the more I pray, the more I give God thanks for the things that He has blessed me with, I don't have to fight near as hard against things like anger, and jealousy, pride, impure thoughts, bitterness, and envy nearly as much as when I don't. Solomon was a very wise man, probably the wisest man who's ever lived. Look what he wrote in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else... Guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. Yes, we need to do all the things that we as Christians do. We pray, we read our Bible, we come to church, we share the gospel with others and so on. But first and foremost, above all else, we need to guard our heart against those things that slip in and destroy our walk with God. If we go out and we evangelize the whole world, and we see thousands of people come to Christ because of us are witnessing, and yet we lose our soul. The Bible said, what does it profit a man? First and foremost, guard your heart. The next sins I want to look at are sins of the tongue. Obviously, David understood this one too. Psalm 141.3 said, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. And then we could just pray and go home right there if we all believed it. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep a watch over the door of my lips. Keep in mind, this is a man that was considered a man after God's own heart. He was a righteous man. Oh, he had, he had plenty of faults. But he was a righteous man and he was highly favored by God. And if this man David prayed this, I certainly believe it's a prayer that every one of us could probably find time to pray ourselves. While what led David to pray this prayer was probably, he probably saw in his own life the problem of controlling his tongue from the giving side. And while that was maybe the obvious motivation for that passage of Scripture, we know that he also received from the, the other side. He received a lot of that kind of stuff. Look at Psalm 120, verses 1 and 2. He said, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, O Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. He'd been on both sides of it. He had also obviously been on the side of receiving harsh words, words that were spoken that weren't true. Lying, deceitful words that obviously caused him distress. Most of us have probably experienced that too. We know it hurts. But then, even though we know it hurts, many times we have those moments when we do exactly the same thing to others. One of the most damaging things in the, the world is an unruly, 
undisciplined tongue. Proverbs 18.21 tells us the tongue has the power of life and death. Oh, how it is, is, is it possible? My words aren't going to kill anybody. My tongue can't have the power of life and death. What could I possibly say that could cause someone to die? Maybe your words themselves won't kill someone. But there have been people who, as a result of repeated verbal attacks, have gone out and committed suicide because they couldn't stand the hurt any longer. Harsh, degrading words have been responsible for the death of many a dream. Someone is told over and over in their life that they're stupid and, and, and that they're a loser, that they'll never amount to anything. And you know what? Eventually they start to believe it. Words are powerful. Words can kill. Oh, the damage that a tongue can do, especially when it's a lying tongue, a critical tongue, or a gossiping tongue. And for the record, if you're talking bad about somebody behind their back, it's still gossip even if it's true. If it's gossip, it's gossip, and it's wrong. Husband and wife were coming out of church one Sunday, and the wife looked at the husband and said, did you see the piercing that so-and-so's daughter's parading around with? Husband said, mm, no, didn't even see her. The wife continued, and that dress sister so-and-so was wearing, don't tell me you think that was a proper outfit to wear to, wear to church. Mm, didn't see that either. Well, for heaven's sake, the wife snapped, a lot of good it does you to go to church. <laughs> In an effort to provide full disclosure, guys do the same thing. The Bible is very clear about gossip. Leviticus 19.16 in the NLT says, Do not spread slanderous gossip among your people. Psalm 41.6 says, They visit me. Again, this is David. They visit me as if they were my friends, but all the while they gather gossip, and when they leave, they spread it everywhere. You think David got it? Proverbs 16.28, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. In Romans 1.29, Paul put together quite a list of sins. He said, their lives become full of every kind of wickedness. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior. And we stop there and yes, yes, Paul, you tell him. Except that wasn't the end of it. At the very end it says, and gossip. And he listed that right up there with all the murder and quarreling and deception and malicious, malicious behavior. All of those things are listed right there alongside of gossip. Most of us probably don't lump gossip in with those things, but Paul did. It seems the church at Corinth had quite an ugly list of sins as well. And gossip made that list too, 2 Corinthians 12.20. For I am afraid that when I come to you, I might not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, faction, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. You see, it's not anything new. It's been going on since David's time. It was going on in Paul's time. It goes on in our day. Someone once said, gossip is a parasite that requires a host organism to survive. So how do we stop it? Stop giving it a place to live. Solomon wrote this in Proverbs 26, 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. 
You want to get rid of gossip? Quit feeding it. It'll die. Often the sins of the tongue are like crabgrass. You might only tell one person, but you can be assured it's going to spread. And once it's spread, the damage is done. And just as the best deterrent to crabgrass is to have, a, have healthy grass, the most effective deterrent to a damaging tongue is to have a spiritually healthy heart. Galatians 5.18 tells us that if we live by the Spirit, we will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. If we are full of the Holy Spirit, if we are reading our Bible and praying like we should, especially when we're praying for our pastor and our brothers and sisters in Christ, we will find it very hard, if not impossible, for our tongues to be critical or to gossip about them. It's hard to talk about people when you're praying for them. If we keep our lives spiritually healthy, the sins of the tongue will generally take care of themselves. And even though we can say at a later time, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. The sins of the tongue have destroyed many relationships, many families, and yes, many churches. It's been said that a word once spoken can never be brought back. You can't unring a bell. You can say, I'm sorry, but the hurt has already been done. And again, this is obviously not a comprehensive list of all the sins in these two categories. So please don't assume that if I didn't mention it, that it's not really a sin. Here's something we all have to realize with all sin. Sin obviously hurts the person who committed it. If not here on this earth, it will hurt us eternally if we have not repented of those sins. But it doesn't stop there. These sins not only hurt the person to whom they were directed, they also hurt and can serve as a stumbling block to those who are on the outside looking in. Whether it's a neighbor, a co-worker, someone who has been watching our lives as a Christian, and they've been watching you, you might not know it, but you've said you were a Christian, and now they're watching your life. And then when we do unkind things, thoughtless things, we treat others in a harsh way with our tongue, it affects those people that are watching our lives. It's going to be really hard for us to go and witness to them now that they need what I have. So how do we guard our heart? Especially against things that creep in slowly and destroy us spiritually. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to continually be asking God to search our heart. Show us if there's something there that shouldn't be. And this is important, not just show it to us, because He will. But once He shows it to us, we need to remove it from our life. Whether it's an attitude or an action, a sin of the heart or a sin of the tongue. Once we know it's there, we have to get it out of our life. It's not good enough to see the crabgrass and the mole crickets destroy the grass or the little foxes that sneak in and destroy the vine and do nothing. No, once we see them, we have to take action. And if we don't take action, destruction will follow. 
In the same way, it's not enough to pray, God, show me if there's anything in my heart that shouldn't be there. Or, Lord, create in me a clean heart. And then when he shows us those things, we go, eh, I kind of like those things. You go, well, I'd never do that. We do it all the time. We say, God, search my heart and see if there's something that shouldn't be there. And he speaks to our heart or he convicts us of something. That's that, that thing that kind of pricks at our heart, that conviction, that kind of something speaking to us and saying, you probably shouldn't be doing that. Or maybe absolutely you shouldn't be doing that. And even though we prayed for him to speak to us, when he does, we don't do anything about it. James 1, through 25 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. God, show me what's wrong. It's like looking in the mirror and your hair's all sticking up and you go, yeah, it looks fine to me. And that's exactly what we do, y'all that have hair. It's exactly what we do sometimes with God. We fall on our face before God and we say, search my heart, created me a clean heart, and he shows us right in front of us. And we don't do anything about it. We don't need to just hear the word. We need to do what it says. Because if we don't, we are deceiving ourselves. We need to get rid of the things in our life that don't belong there. Not just the big things, but the little things. And not just the little things, but the big things. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us. That means get rid of everything that would stop you from running a race. Anybody in here run? Anybody run marathons, half marathons, anything like that? Okay. Merite, of course. <laughs> if you showed up at a marathon and you had a 50-pound backpack on and combat boots and you go through all of that and everybody else is there with shorts that weigh about a half of an ounce and a t-shirt that weighs less than that, and tennis shoes that weigh about three ounces, and the, the starting gun hits, you're going to be left behind. Why? Because you can't run the race when you're burdened down. You can't run the race with all that stuff holding you back, and that's why the Bible says to get rid of all those things, those things that would hinder us and entangle us, so that we can run the race with perseverance. I'll close with this. If you find that crabgrass is taken over your yard, the first thing you have to do is get rid of the problem. Poor Ruthie. She um, was not a hater of crabgrass. And I have turned her into... I think the biggest hater of crabgrass that's ever lived. She will walk by somebody's yard that we don't even know. 
And I'll be walking and I'll turn around and she's back there on the ground pulling up crabgrass. <laughs> True story. So you have to get rid of it. But here's something that's really important. If you leave bare ground, something will grow back there. And I can tell you it probably won't be grass. Instead, it will probably be more crabgrass or some other kind of weed. And the same goes for our spiritual walk. We ask God to show us the things in our lives that shouldn't be there. And then the next thing we have to do is get rid of the sin in our life. And we're promised that if we repent, that God will forgive our sins. That's straight from the Word of God. That if we repent, He will forgive our sins. And picture it kind of if this bottle was full of dirty water, and I took the lid out and just poured it out. It's an empty bottle. Something's going to get back in it. And look at your life similar way that our lives have sin in them. We come to the Lord and we ask Him to forgive us of our sins. And we believe that what Jesus did on the cross will take care of all those sins. And our sins are washed clean. Our hearts are washed clean. Our sins are gone. If there's not something there to take that place, it will fill back up. But we have a promise from the Word of God that He will fill us with the Holy Spirit. And that's the Spirit that lives in us. And it leads us. And it guides us. And it directs us. And I will tell you, that's a promise for everyone that's here today. It's not enough just to say, God, forgive my sins. Yeah, that's great. Your sins are gone. The angels are rejoicing. That's what the Bible says. But this is a long journey. And we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it is a promise from the Word of God that He will fill us with His Spirit. I feel these things are important. And I believe that if we are to reach the place where we need to be individually in our walk with Christ, we have to be on the outlook, on the lookout for those things that would trip us up. Sometimes we get caught up in doing the work of the Lord. And we get so caught up in doing the work of the Lord because we're busy at church and we're, we're doing activities and we're, we're doing all of these things and, and things that seem to be very spiritual. And if we're not careful, we neglect what's really important and that's our heart. And that's why the writer said, above all else, guard your heart. I can tell you that one of the best places, and I heard this all my life, but I saw it, one of the best places to backslide is go to Bible college. How is that possible? I'm here doing the work of the Lord. I'm here learning to go into the ministry. 
and I'm going through all this training. And if you're not careful, you sit through class after class after class and you learn all these things and you neglect what's in here. If we are going to continue to move forward to the place where God is leading us, then we have to be oh so careful of our thoughts, our attitudes, our actions, and our speech. Because those are the things that people look at when they set foot in High Point Church. I can tell you one of the things that has changed the way I react most of the time in traffic is it just hit me one day. What if that person walks through that door when I'm standing here preaching one Sunday morning? <laughs> you don't think that'll stop you from... How can we witness to the world if we don't live a life that's different than them? And the thing I want us to walk away from here today with is that it's not the big things. We can't say, but, but I, haven't, I haven't robbed a bank this week. I haven't killed anybody this week. That's great. I'm so glad. <laughs> but what about those little foxes? What about those mole crickets? What about that crabgrass that's growing? It's time to get rid of them. Because if you don't, they will destroy you. They will destroy your Christian walk. And they will destroy your witness. Would you stand this morning? I want us just to pray before we do anything else. Lord, today, we come to you. We thank you for your presence that is in this place today. And Lord, today I ask that you would help each of us to honestly search our lives. Lord, that you would point out any sins that we might have in our hearts. Lord, I ask then that you would help us to turn loose of those things. If there is sin in our lives, point it out to us so that we can repent of it. Knowing that we cannot go forward in our walk if we are burdened down with sin and weights And Lord, clean our lives. Search our hearts. Take away any sin in our lives, Lord. And then we ask today that you would fill us with your Spirit. Lord, that we would have that, that Holy Spirit living in our lives to lead us and to guide us into all truth. And Lord, that Spirit that lives in us and gives us power and helps us to be a witness. Fill us with your spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. We're going to sing a chorus. 
If you would like to come pray, maybe you've never made a start to live for the Lord. Maybe you've never even repented of your sins. If you would like to come do that today, these altars are open. Someone will meet you here, pray with you, pray for you. If you have never been baptized, we will schedule a baptismal service for you, and we would love to do that. Baptism is a, it's an outward sign of something that's happened in here. It's not magic water. But it's something the Bible says we need to do. Jesus gave us the example himself. And we can do all of that. But what you can do is if there's something in your heart, ask the Lord to point it out to you and remove that from your life. If you'd like to pray where you are, you'd like to come to these altars, let's just sing this chorus a couple times as we do just that this morning.